Well, good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing tonight? Good? Everybody's doing well? I feel like everybody's probably fighting some sort of cough or crap or something. I know I am, so feels like everybody is, a lot of people I've talked to have, has, um, has been afflicted this week. Anybody have any, uh, anybody have tests coming up this week? Big tests? Yeah, it's starting to get to that point in the semester, isn't it? How about um, people coming up with big papers? Those are coming up? Yeah, it's getting to be that part of the, that time of the semester, isn't it? <clears throat> well, welcome to RUF. My name is Jonathan. If, you haven't, if I haven't met you yet, um, I'd love to meet you. I'd love to at least find out what your name is, where you're from, um, and ultimately I'd love to grab lunch with you, get coffee, um, learn a little bit more about who you are and what brings you here tonight. <clears throat> RUF is, um, we want RUF to be a safe place for people who are Christians who are burned out, wary in their faith. We also want it to be a place for people who aren't sure what they believe about faith and spirituality to come here, um, get thoughtful answers, ask hard questions. So we hope that describes just about everybody here um, and um, so we're glad everyone's here tonight. Um, so if you've been with us, we've been working through the book of First John. We've been working through the book of First John. And um, what we've been talking about as we've been talking through this book is our topic is love. How do we know love? And our topic title has been, By This We Know Love. And I've said throughout, and I'll keep saying it throughout, that we live in a world, we live in a society, we live in families, friends, a university that is desperately asking questions about what is love? How do I know what love is? How do I love better? How do I go out and be a more accepting and caring person? We need that in our families. We need it in our friendships, in our communities. And so I've said it again. I'll say it tonight. I think it's, this book tells us a lot about how we love well. And uh, we've said the last four weeks, we've said that love starts with fellowship with God. Love starts with fellowship with God. And it starts with solving our failure to love God, which is in our sin. And so the last two weeks, we've seen how Jesus has been the solution to that. How Jesus Christ has been, last week we saw in particular that Jesus is our advocate and our propitiation. He's our advocate in that he defends us from God's wrath with his own righteousness. He's our propitiation in that he himself was sacrificed in our place. And he appeases God's wrath. And in that, we see an incredible, tremendous act of love, of God moving towards us when we didn't deserve it, and now even when we deserve the opposite. And that is what begins to motivate our love. And so, if this is true, if love is primarily motivated and driven by God's self-sacrifice towards us, even when we have failed to love Him, him, then how does that start to spread out into our lives, into our campus, into our community. That's what we are going to try and explore this week, that outward flow from God to man and now from man to man, or man to woman, or woman to woman. Do you see what John is doing here? as, As we look across this book, he starts with establishing love with God and man as a theological love, and then he spreads it out to social love. And what I want us to see tonight is how God's love, God's love empowers our love. God's love towards us empowers our love. And I want us to see that tonight in three main ways. Three main ways. First, I want us to see a new commandment. Next, I want us to see a new love. And third, I want us to see a new confidence. 
a new confidence. So a new commandment, a new love, and a new confidence. So look with me in, um, on your bulletins. I'm going to read this t- uh, section of text, and then we'll, we'll see what it has to say to our lives. So this is 1 John chapter 2, 7-14. to 14. This is God's word. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. And at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who was from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I am writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who was from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we can gather tonight and for a few brief minutes examine it, see what it has to say about your love towards us and how we should begin to apply that. Spirit, use this time, use my words, use the meditations of our hearts on it to make us a more loving and caring community for your world and your kingdom. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, first point I want us to see is a new commandment. How God's love empowers us to love. First thing, a new commandment. Look with me at verses 7 and 8. 7 and 8. And so in these verses, we see John talking in verses 7 and 8 a lot about commandments, an old commandment and a new commandment. And all of this, in, or this language of commandments is, um, is in reference to what he had said last week in verses uh, 2 when he says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. So he's talking about this idea of commandments or obedience to the law. And so this audience that John is writing to would have been a largely Jewish audience. There probably would have been some non-Jews, but a lot of Jews were in this audience. And so when they hear this word commandment, their mind is going to one place right off the bat. Their mind is going to the Ten Commandments. Now, if you know anything about the Jewish people, the Ten Commandments are a very, very formative and foundational piece of who they are as a culture, as a people, as an identity. The Ten Commandments was the, the, you know, the, the Ten Commandments that God gave them when they had come out of Egypt. And God said, I am your God. You are my people. Here's what the beginning of our society looks like. There, it's a very old law. It's a very, very old law. It's a very familiar law to them, very familiar commandment system to them. And the summary throughout the Old Testament, the summary of these Ten Commandments um, is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So the sum, the kind of the core of these Ten Commandments is love. Love God and love neighbor. So in that sense, that's what John says here when he says, I am writing no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. John is saying here, I'm not telling you anything new. In fact, it's, it's hundreds of years old. 
It's the bedrock of how you as a people have been living, of your moral choices, of your relationship with God. And it's built on this law of love. It's built on this idea of loving God and loving man. And it's a part of your identity as a Jewish people that has been in your, in your sort of mind, in your collective conscious for a very long time. That's what John means when he says, I'm writing, I'm, this is nothing new. It's, I'm, this is no old, new commandment, but an old commandment. It's the word that you've heard. But then look what he says in verse 8. <clears throat> he says, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. It is a new commandment. So what's new about it? What makes it different? Well, how many of you are mystery novel readers? How many of you enjoyed a good mystery book? So when you're reading a good mystery... It's all really confusing, unless you're really, really good at reading mysteries. It's really confusing as you're reading along. You're reading along, and you're just like, man, I don't know what's going on. And, and you know, they're throwing pieces and hints at you. And then all of a sudden, the author will give you that, you know, the final solution, the final piece. And you'll just go, oh my gosh, that's it. And then you think back through the book, and you think all these pieces of evidence that were piling up, that, that you're like, oh, why didn't I see this coming? Why didn't I not see this coming? How did I miss that detail? Well, that's sort of what, what John is talking about here. And he's, what he's trying to say is here, there's this new piece of evidence. There's this new piece that makes it all fit, that makes this new commandment something, something what it always has been, which is old, but also something new. And he says over and over, he says, it is true in him. And there he's referring to Jesus. So he says, Jesus is out of that light bulb that makes everything fit together. Jesus is the final piece of the puzzle. There's a new quality to this old commandment that makes it more clear, more doable, more understandable. Well, how? Because Jesus starts to show us clearly, more clearly, most clearly, what love is in his incredible sacrifice that we've been talking about, his sacrificial love for us, and how to love one another by his perfect example as you read and study who Jesus is and what he did. Jesus makes obedience more than just wrote obedience to a moral law. That's sort of what the old commandment was like, sort of. Jesus begins to say, no, obedience is not just behavior according to rules. Obedience is this dynamic, relational, creative endeavor as we try to figure out how does this person of Jesus apply into our world? How do we follow this new commandment, which is actually the old commandment, but in new and exciting and different ways in our society, in our, even in New Mexico State? So if, if you're a, mu- a musician, if you're a musician, um, I played piano for a long time, and so for years I played three things, scales, chords, and arpeggios. Scales, chords, and arpeggios. Scales, chords, and arpeggios. Over and over and over. 24 different kinds. Just all up and down. Those were the rules. You can't break them. You've got to learn the rules. But then, once you get good at them, which I only kind of did, but I kind of did. But then once you get good at them, you can start to improvise on them within the bounds of those rules. And that's when real music starts to happen. And the best jazz musicians will tell you that it's when they play well within those rules without breaking them that real music starts to happen. That's how this new commandment is. It's the old commandment 
of what's good for people and what's good with God. But now it's in the Christian community. We, as Christians, have the privilege of exploring this grand new horizon of what does it look like to love God and love each other in our situation? What does it look like for you and for me in light of God's love towards us to love at New Mexico State University? To love in your job? To love in your specific family, which is full of some really, really interesting intricacies that make love both very easy and very challenging? What does it look like in light of who God is and who Jesus is and what he's done to love in your particular friend group? That's what this new commandment is. It's this new expanding out of love into our situations. And so why is this true? Well, John tells us in in verse 8, he says, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Well, what does this mean? Well, think with me. I want to try and put it in where we live, right here in Las Cruces. Think about sunrise over the Oregon Mountains. How many of you have seen a sunrise over the Oregon Mountains? I know you're college students, so you're not up for a while before. Hey, I'm guilty. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. But every once in a while, I'll see a sunrise. And there's that moment when the sun comes over the Oregon Mountains, and it's starting to rise, but the sunlight, the actual sunlight is in the valley. It's out in Messiah or something like that. The actual sunlight is in Messiah. And, and there's still shadow up against the mountains and shadow in, in Las Cruces. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I'm talking about, how, with that, how that happens? And so it's this slow, as the sun is rising, the sun is moving towards the mountains, towards the mountains. And it's piercing into that shadow. It's invading into the darkness. So in one sense, the light has already dawned. The sun has come up. It's dawn. It's a new day. But the light is still moving forward. The light is still pushing back the darkness. And it's only a matter of time before the sun is over everything and it's fully day. That's what John is saying here. That's what Jesus, that's what's happening right now. That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is the true light. Jesus is the one who has risen from the dead. He's the one how, when, God's, when John says earlier, he says, God is light and in him is no darkness. This light has dawned and it's come up and now it's advancing into the darkness. Jesus is the light and he's pushing back the darkness and he's making, he's making sense of all things new. And it's only, a, it's only a matter of time before all is light. The light is already shining, but it's, it's not yet shining on all things completely. Jesus in his new world is already shining, but it's not yet realized. So he, Jesus is, is he's here to bring with him this new commandment. And yet we're all still in this process of figuring out how does this apply into our lives? How does this work out into our world in New Mexico State? So that's, what, that's the first place that John is showing us here. God's love empowers us to love in this new commandment, this new way of loving well. Second thing. Second thing we see here is that God, John gives us a new love. A new love. Look with me at verses 9 to 11. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But, whatever, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And John is continuing on with this light-dark metaphor. 
And he's saying something that we've seen consistently over the last couple of weeks that John has said over and over. He's saying, and this is something we need to listen carefully to, he says, you can't seriously say, I'm a Christian, and then consistently and belligerently and unapologetically fail to care for and fail to love those around you. And so the strong implication in that is that you and I should be caring for, you and I should be reaching out to, you and I should be seeking to make those around us into better people. We should be seeking to love them well, giving of ourselves to love them. To love them. So this should prompt us to ask ourselves, and I ask you, are there people in your life that you reach out to in this sort of self-sacrificial, self-giving love, not because of what you get from them, but because what you can give them, because you, of how you can value them in response to what God has done? Well, what does this look like practically in New Mexico State? Well, again, it's this whole dynamic of things that we are all in the process of figuring out and working out. <clears throat> but I'll give one very practical piece that I think. I think this looks like caring for each other with your time and with your emotional energy. So I've only been on campus for about six weeks now. I'm pretty new to New Mexico State. But I've hung out with a lot of college students in the last six weeks. And something that I hear over and over and over again is I'm lonely and I'm depressed and I'm anxious. Over and over again, people say that. And, and that matches with what social scientists and sociologists are saying of college students, that college students are some of the most lonely, anxious, and depressed demographics right there, out there today. This is an ideal situation for us as Christians, for those of us who are discovering who and what Jesus is, to reach out and in response to what God has done for us, to reach out and love someone else who desperately needs it. To have lunch with them. To have coffee with them. To go for a hike with them. To invite them to watch a movie. To listen to them. When they say, my family's really hard. Or I don't know what to do with my roommate. At NMSU, my love might be saying, I, would, I know I would rather watch Netflix and do something by myself, but I'm going to buy my classmate a latte and ask them how their week was. I'm going to sit down with them and say, what's going on in your life? How can I listen to you and care for you? And when we as a community start to do that well, when we as a community start to reach out sacrificially to others, then we remove what some of the scandal that is with our faith. And that's what he means here when he says, not cause for stumbling. There's no cause for stumbling in verse 10. And today in our world, unfortunately, Christians can have a really, really bad reputation. In fact, there are people who have done things on this campus in Jesus' name that is very, very bad. Maybe some of you older students can think of things where students have, where some supposed Christians will run around inciting fights or um, doing a verbal or emotional abuse or something like that, even battery, claiming to be Christians. And John would have absolutely no toleration for that. He would have no toleration for that. He would say, no, if you are doing things that are making other people, that are not loving other people, then you cannot claim to be a Christian. You're being scandalous to your faith. But when we actually move out towards love in other people, we remove the scandal of our faith. There's no room for stumbling for people to say, what is this Christianity? 
In the early church, the Christians were famous for this. Christians were accused of all kinds of weird things. They were accused of incestual orgies and cannibalism and political treason. And none of it was true. But they, they, they had a really bad reputation and they suffered greatly for it. But here's the thing. No one could actually find fault with their actions. Non-Christians would take their sick and they would put them all in one section of the town and so they couldn't get any care and they would basically just die. And Christians would go into these places that are filled of, in parts of Rome and in Ephesus, they would go into these places that were full of the dying and they would take care of them. They would tend to them even to the point where they would get sick and die themselves. Let us be that sort of people so that even when people disagree with our beliefs, they say, I disagree with you, they can't fault us because of our care for our community at, at New Mexico State, for our love for our fellow people. So what's new about this love? What's new about this love? Well, Valentine's Day is tomorrow. So what does Valentine's Day tell us? What does our culture tell us what love is? Well, our, our, our culture, Valentine's Day, basically tells us that love is candy. <laughs> it says... It says, it's, first it's literally candy, and then it's just giving someone a heart-shaped box with some chocolate in it. And you say, I love you, I don't know, bleh, take this. <laughs> some mediocre to very poor chocolate. But it's also, our culture tells us that it's not just literally candy, it's also sort of like a, like a, a, a metaphorical candy. It's this sort of sweet sugar rush of good feelings that feels sweet. It's like, oh, I love you, I, lo- I just, I love you. But there's no real nourishment. There's no real action. There's nothing, there's no real anything to sink your teeth into. No real care for another person. At, at most today, love is just sort of a simple act of kindness towards people. Or, or a romantic gesture towards someone like, I love you. And that's all we've got, really. But what is John saying here that love is? Well, if, if our cultural love is sort of this candy then this biblical love that John is describing is like a full steak dinner. I don't want to offend any vegetarians here. But it's like this full steak dinner with like a baked potato and vegetables and probably green chili if we're in New Mexico. <laughs> and this, this biblical love is this tenacious, active self-sacrifice for the better of someone else. It's sacrificing my best for someone else's best because Jesus' best is already mine. It's sacrificing my best for someone else's best because Jesus' best was, is already mine. Love here is not just an emotion. It's not a sentimental feeling. But it's living for others day in and day out for others' ultimate good. And I want you to see here how much richer, how much deeper this love is and how much the stakes are so much higher. But the reward and the gains are so much greater. This is an active love which is activated by God's love. An active love which is activated by God's love. So we see here John is giving us a new love that is so much richer and fuller and deeper than just feelings. This is love with feet, love with hands, cares for people, motivated by Jesus' love. Isn't that what we need in our community? Isn't that what we need in our UF? Isn't that what we need at New Mexico State? I think it is. I think it is, and that's what John is telling us. And finally, we see here what John is telling us. He's saying we have a new confidence. A new confidence. 
This is in uh, verses 12 to 14. And so there's a lot of questions about these verses. And you'll even see that on your bulletin they're written out in sort of a, a weird verse. It's not like our normal paragraph. And Bible scholars have a lot of views on these. And I'm going to be honest, I don't fully understand what's going on here myself. Um, but the overall point is clear. John is saying, I'm writing here to a whole community of Christians so that you can be sure and confident of love. So John has just laid down a very, very heavy command. He's laid down a very heavy commandment. He's saying, God has loved you with an incredible love. Now go out there and love those around you with that same love. And you should feel the weight of that because it is a weighty thing that God is telling us to do here. You should feel how heavy that is. So now John has to build us back up. He's got he's to tell us, but it's okay. God still loves you. And so that's what he's doing here. He's giving us this new confidence. But before we can see that, we need to answer two questions about this, these verses that, that could be challenging for us, especially in our day and age. The first question we need to answer about this is, What's up with the different ages, the children and the young men and the fathers and that repetition? What's up with the different ages? And second, why are only men named? Are women excluded? So those are two questions that we need to answer first. So first with the ages. So scholars go back and forth over this, and there's lots of different, there's lots of different solutions. Um, <clears throat> the best solution, I think, as I've done a lot of reading and, and thinking about it and research this week, is that it's this is probably a rhetorical device that John is using here to show stages in Christian life, to show stages in Christian life. So that the children here is like a metaphorical meaning or a rhetorical meaning for new Christians, people who have just come into the Christian community. And the young men are like the adolescent Christians, people who have been Christians for a couple of years but are still figuring it out. And then the fathers are like the fathers of the faith. You know, they've been Christians for a really long time. And so what John is saying here, if that's true, he's saying that no matter where you are in your Christian walk, and so hear, this, hear me say this, no matter where you are in your Christian walk, I want you to know that you can be confident that the gospel is true of you and that God loves you. That your sins are forgiven. That you know God, as he says here, and that God knows you. All of us, no matter where we are in our Christian walk, if we claim to be a Christian, John says, we can be confident of God's love towards us. So yes, there's this heavy, heavy command to go out and, and find out what this new love and this new commandment is. But in the midst of that, know that God's love is fully and completely resting and satisfied and complete on you. The second question we need to answer here is, why are there only masculine nouns? Why is it father's? And young men, why, why not women? Is, and is actually excluding women. So um, I'm going to give three really quick answers. But, and if you have more questions on this, we can t- I'd love to talk with you about it. Actually, I'd love for Caroline to talk more about it. Um, so uh, <laughs> uh, my wife, Caroline, to tell you more about it. She's very, very well trained in this stuff. Um, so three real quick things. First, the Greek here. So this, this letter was originally written in Greek. The Greek is a very highly structured it's, very, it's structured for a rhetorical purpose. Again, that we try to get at that in how we write it on our, on our English. And so it's like a really sort of a complex poem. And so when we read a poem about men, normally, almost always, it includes women. Because that's how a poem works. Poems are more general and, and less specific. So an example would be like the poem that says, The Best Laid Plans of Mice and Men. Well, we just know that that includes women because that's what poems do. That's how they function. 
And I think that's probably what's happening here, is that John is using a rhetorical device to describe the whole spectrum of the Christian life. And if he's describing the whole spectrum of, of Christian life in like a rhetorically ornate way, then he's describing all Christians everywhere, which certainly would include women. He's speaking in generalities and not specifically in specifics. And those generalities would include anyone who believes in Jesus, and that would include women. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, nowhere, in anywhere in the, in, in, does Jesus exclude women from his company. In fact, Jesus, Jesus specifically seeks out women in a way that was sort of shocking and scandalous in the patriarchal culture, like the woman at the well in John 4 or the Syrophoenician woman. So Jesus' example is very inclusive towards women. And thirdly, the rest of the Bible is shockingly inclusive towards women. Again, in a time and a place where women were not really valued like they are today. Um, And so I think we can be pretty confident here that um, John is not excluding women, but rather he's speaking in general terms about all Christians and stages of their life. So again, if you have questions, come talk to me. Talk to my wife, Caroline, um, and we'd love to dialogue with you more about that. But With that out of the way, I want us to see what John's bigger point is. And John's point here is to say, as a community of believers in Jesus Christ, again, you can have total confidence of who you are in him. Your sins are forgiven. You know Jesus. You know God. And he knows you. You have overcome the evil one, he says. And I want to focus briefly on that last one. Now, the evil one he is talking about is Satan. He's Satan. He's the, he's, the, he's the great adversary of Christians. He's the prince of darkness, as he's described elsewhere. He's the prince of darkness. He's the one who's the opposite of this light that's, 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 that's coming forth and this light that is moving forward. There's a great hymn by a, a great Christian. It's called A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And it says, there's a verse that says, The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. And so Luther here is picking up on this theme here of we have in Christ, because of our union with Christ, because of who we are in Christ, you have overcome the evil one. You are victorious over Satan. Let him have no power over who you are over the choices that you make, over the voices and the, and the whispers that you hear about who you are and, the, and what, what sort of life you have to live. Be confident in that, John says. Be confident that when you are in Christ, no power can harm you. That's what Paul says in Romans 8. No power can harm you because you are hidden in Christ. So what do we see in this passage? We see... God's love on display. But then we also see how God's love begins to empower our love. And so John is beginning to make this transition from God's love towards us. Okay, if that's how we begin to know what love is, how do we then go out and start loving others? And he gives us three ways. He tells us a new commandment, a new love, and a new confidence. So I want to ask you tonight... Do you see God's love towards you in this? Do you see God's love towards you in this? And if so, ask yourself, how can I love those more around me with this tenacious, creative, dynamic love 
that's being described here in response to God's love, not as a way to get God's love, but in response to God's love. John says here, yes, actions are important. Love others well, work hard at it. But in the last analysis, at the end of the day, our salvation depends on the promise and the power of God so that we can boldly declare that we have peace with God and that we know him who we believe. Know that, Christians. Know that God loves you, and if that's true, then we can go out and figure out how to love those well at New Mexico State. So let me pray for us to that end. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it shows us. Thank you for how it shows us first your great love towards us. But then, Father, it doesn't leave us there. It also begins to show us how to love those around us. Father, I pray for all of us here who are gathered that you would begin to tease out in our lives, in our work, in our faith, in our families, in our communities, how we love those around us well. How we give of ourselves in response to Jesus' great giving. So that we show Jesus and make him beautiful. Help us do that, Father God. Help us do that, Holy Spirit. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. Let's stand for our last song.